Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of 26.1 AI Podcast. Today, we have our guest, Konstantin Savenko. He's the CEO and founder of Atento, based out of Berkeley, California. And it's an abstraction layer for cognitive services. And we'll start out with asking our guest to introduce himself and explain what that means. Thank you, Konstantin. Uh, thanks, Dom. Um, thank, thanks for the intro. And uh, yeah, I'm you know I'm an um, sort of AI person. I've been doing computer science, and I spent lots of time developing different different things like recommender systems. We we've noticed with my co-founder that the bottleneck in artificial intelligence is um, not really uh, developing the better model today in many cases uh, the bottleneck is the, in the enterprise adoption meaning that if you look at um, say Deloitte reports you see that about um, only 20 percent of companies uh, report successful deployments and uh, meaning 80 percent constantly trying and failing and the reason for them is, is not that yeah is not there yet it's just they're doing something wrongly and we sort of we switched both with my uh, co-founder, who is um, Gregor Sapunov, he's a Google developer ex expert in machine learning. We actually sort of switched from developing AI to developing uh, tools for AI, like from gold to shovels, <laughs> if I may say. And we so we started the company in 2016, uh, and we moved we moved to United States in 2000. 17 when we were invited by UC Berkeley to Berkeley Skydeck, which is accelerator. Yeah, and now about what we actually do. So the idea is that, you know, large companies over the last 30, 40 years, they got pretty okay with working with software, right? They know how to buy software, they know how to deploy software, they know how to manage software, and they're trying to use the same approach to artificial intelligence. But the problem is AI is not software. And we see that um, we see that when when they're trying to, for example, use these RFPs to find the best AI vendor for them, they they fail a lot. They are like stuck to work with the wrong vendor, and only half a year after that, they realize it doesn't work because they they should have selected a different one when it's already too late for this to be successful. So we focused on solving the building tools and processes for this um, for procurement. AI for um, deployment of AI solutions in the enterprise and for maintaining AI. Because, well, you maintain software with AI, if it's not continuously improving, you're already doing something wrong. So that's, that's what we do. If, and, you know, technically we're, an we're building integration platform. So it's like, it's like a middleware where on one side you connect lots of AI vendors like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and IBM and all others. And on another side, you connect lots of different enterprise systems, which may be customer service, um, translation management systems, um, chatbots, community portals, Microsoft Office, stuff like that. Is it does it does it make sense? <laughs> sure, sure, absolutely. And what what you offer, and we want to give you support as a startup, and we'll get more into your product than we normally do with a lot of guests, is um, you've got a hub of sorts, right, that your customers are connecting with. And working with your tools, they're connecting up or making sense of their workflows? 
yeah, yeah. So we actually we we decided to focus on uh, the machine translation. Uh, for, by two, for two reasons. So one reason is we've seen this gap in machine translation. Um, it's one of the widest because it can do amazing things. Um, just a link on AI to translate your text from one language to another with like up to 97% user satisfaction. While if you look how it's being used today, it's far, far behind that. And second reason that machine translation is needed for, you know, every global company and for almost every department of this company. So for us, it's 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 quite easy to sell. Uh, we have lots of entry points and when we're in, we are really spread around the company very fast. Yeah, and so it's about helping them. So there's around 30 different vendors of machine translation on the market. And if you look how they perform, it's very fragmented and very very complex landscape, depending on the language, depending on the domain, like topic, um, content type. As one or another vendor pops up, then they provide different customization capabilities, and it also depends depending on your on volume and quality of your data. Uh, they have different learning curves, so really have to have to get your hands dirty when you select the vendors you work with. And what we found working with uh, really large companies like, you know, like IKEA, is that um, when you're global, when you work with content from around the globe, there is no best vendor for you in the AI space. You have to combine. So that's that's what we have to do. So we have to find this right combination, right portfolio of vendors. We have to curate this portfolio over time, and we provide uh, technology that to integrate it with all enterprise systems. So that's, I hope it's quite, should be quite simple. Right. So if we do a call to action to support a hardworking startup team, would it be fair to say if you need globalization at a global scale, they should talk to you? Yeah. If you, if you work, if you need to read, um, um, when you're doing work, if you need to talk to people in different languages, you need to read uh, text in different languages of, well, we work with tech, technology companies a lot. What they do, they translate uh, Confluence and Jira and even uh, Visual Studio and Code Comments, GitLab, Bitbucket, all this stuff. So if, if you want to do that so that you it works better than for, you know, making funny quotes and posting them to um, social channel in your Slack, then uh, yeah, we can help. It's fascinating to me that there's 32 companies you're connected to for translation, and that's a rarity in software marketplaces these days. Typically, um, there's one winner, and they're kind of authoritative, and they're the first choice, and then there's maybe an also ran and possibly a third. Yeah, you know, that was the first thing we stumbled upon in this sort of where we, you know, when we understood we we're onto something, when we noticed it's not only 30 vendors, it's that the price difference for the similar services is 300 times, which is crazy. You don't have markets like that. It means there's strong friction. There's something preventing people to evaluating different solutions, understanding that this 10 bucks solution is as good for your case as this 1000 bucks solution, right? And it's something prevents to switch between vendors. And that's actually what we started with is we thought, okay, what may be this problem? Okay, okay probably the problem is the APIs are different. All these 30 vendors, they have different APIs. 
meaning that just to compare them, you need to have 30 API integrations. And for a large company, you, don't, you need not only integrations, you need also contracts and procurement and legal and financial stuff solved. We thought that's a problem, and we developed uh, our own technology. We just got patent in the United States for this technology, which is uh, it's called intent-based organization of APIs. That's why intent are, right? Because <laughs> uh, like, the idea is that if there's 30 APIs doing essentially the same, like translating or transcribing text or analyzing sentiment, then despite the fact they're all different APIs, after you build a couple of those integrations, you can build the rest automatically. You just do something of ontology mapping, because it's the same intent, how we call it, and then integration is solved. So that's that's what we solved in the first turn. Looks like we have Brian joined us. Brian, are you here? Yes, I am. How are you today? Sorry for showing up a little late to this No problem. Podcast. It's all my fault. I uh, relied on some autocomplete for the calendar invite, and it, it failed. I, I blame artificial intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. No worries. This is a great time for you to show up, Brian, because we'll caption your old stomping grounds, Deloitte, now. Constantin had shared the uh, statistic Deloitte has circulated that 80% of all investment in AI is wasted. So we wanted to define that in that it's not 80% of every dollar in a single org. It's across the population of the companies that only 20% of the companies get a result. Constantin, I'll, I'll turn it over to you on that highlighting that statistic. Yeah, so that's basically if you see that uh, only 20% of companies are successful it, and you know that everyone and their dog are trying to do something, you know, it means that 80% uh, of companies, and we're speaking about largest American companies, uh, they're constantly trying with their AI initiatives and they're constantly failing. So I think we speak about dollars and, you know, survival rate of initiative and the person who <laughs> initiated this initiative it's it's much uh much less than 20 percent and the, the situations which you see uh is like when i won't name names so it's like when some large uh, travel company uh, trying to build chatbot system and they're selecting some vendor a good good brand which everyone knows no one was fired for using right and it's sort of built for digital assistance but similar like seemingly uh it should work on support content because support people also do you know it's a dialogue right and after halfway of procurement and testing they figure out that actually it doesn't work on support content because when you get deeper, you see that, for example, in support use case, you have much more classes of um, of utterances and intents. And it just you need slightly different hyperparameters when you train this neural network. So this out-of-the-box solution doesn't work. And basically wasted like half a year on several hundred thousand dollars on the, all those proof of concept. And it's a failure. But by some reason, people don't write about that on TechCrunch, you know. I don't know why. People don't like to highlight the failures so much. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, so that's um, that's about this number. So I think it's 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 survival rate much less than twenty percent. Uh, and we actually we our goal is to is to increase it. What do you feel the um, 
the cause of such a high failure rate with the AI startups and other areas, or is it just the hype? Or well, is I, it I, that you know, I would, I would say it's, it's just habits. Again, so you have a habit how you work with software. You look at the AI, you think, oh, it's, it should be like SaaS, right? It has an API, sometimes even interface. So let's just, okay, then you have a question, okay, how do you, how do I select which one to use? Oh, I go to my procurement people and they run an RFP. So how do you run RFP for software? You have a spreadsheet, you have checkboxes, and you need to build enough checkboxes for features. And now you go to your AI expert, you ask, okay, so what should be features? And they give you a long list of features like working with your file types and nice interface. And one of those features is it should work on our data, right? And they literally put this as a checkbox to this RFP. And they, it's very rare when they, they try it only at the very last moment where it went through procurement, deployment, they got clearance to share this data, and they try on the data only one vendor. Well, as I described, the landscape is very fragmented and complex, so you need to try um, lots of vendors in the beginning to figure out which one to work with. And if you, if you made this mistake in the beginning, you're already sort of throttling in the wrong direction. And that's just one of these issues. Um, there's many more of them. On that procurement persona or role, who's the most successful? Is it somebody who has failed and then learned from their failure? Or is it just a new type of professional? Somebody new to procurement and they're just up to date with the, uh, the landscape of AI. Yeah, I would I would say that's uh, like an open-minded person, which uh, is ready to change the you know practice how how they used to do things. Because if you if you look at this perspective, when you you have to make your hands dirty with trying um, all vendor of the market on your data, and then you may you end up selecting a portfolio of systems to work with, not just a single winner. It's not how procurement work today in the enterprise. So Understanding that you have to change the process takes lots of courage, I would say. Yeah. Brian, what's fascinating to me on what Constant is sharing with us is the conversation you and I have had about the uh, changing population of Python users. How we, we know some folks who lament what Python used to be, and it's really in the context of how people used to use Python in terms of if you talk about the proportion of the uh, population. And now you have all these millions and millions of people that come in through the PyData tool sets or ecosystem that don't care. They use Python in a completely different way and they don't have those kind of laments or criticism. And it seems like we have that with these folks in procurement or making the buying decisions at these companies. Do you, do you think that's fair, Brian? Yeah, I think that uh, you know your entry point and your your momentum into certain incentives about using a particular technology are highly correlated. You know, so I think that your entry point into AI is it really leads to how you use it moving forward. I've also found it's difficult when people try to change direction sometimes projects in particular, open source ones, whether it be AI projects, is that you already have gained some market share of being something, and then to change that is hard. 
And so people just keep starting over and over. And that's one of the leading factors of the high failure rate is it's not just, it's some of that sometimes there are serial failures. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, also it's another, another point where uh, lots of failures happening is that you cannot just throw AI in the existing business processes, workflows, and other business context and expect it to work. Because, um, you know, just an example, how we help our clients with procurement is that we we develop set of tools which speed up these evaluations a lot so that you can very quickly not not only select the right the right set of models but also estimate its ROI. And when we write, when we run those evaluations we uh, we first like like you do in you know machine learning first we run it on some test data and then we run it sort of in real context with people interfacing with AI. And we found very interesting number at some point is that so in, in specifically in translation, depending on the AI model effort which people put into correcting mistakes, post editing, it differs four times, which is quite a lot, right? Four times difference in costs. But depending on the people who do this editing, it differs ten times. Meaning that ideally if you optimize starting from the bottleneck. If you first optimize workflows, human part. But the problem is like chicken egg problem, because if you have bad model, you won't be able to optimize workflows because people will just cry and run away. So it's also a complex thing to solve. These organizations you're trying to help, how many of them are also struggling with the move to cloud? Because I, I see a lot of that with people who are used to buying traditional software have uh, hardware on-premises, and then it's a giant culture change for them. And I've seen companies struggle for years, some that I've known that still haven't completed this. And these are fairly sophisticated technological companies. Yeah, totally. And actually, it's just what we do, it's sort of next step of some sort, because, yeah, as you said, they, they first, they actually, they went through uh, moving from like application servers to web services, right? Then those web services went to the cloud and they were struggling moving the integration infrastructure to the cloud. And now they have to work with multiple different clouds. You know, we see that for we, we mostly, for us, it's like prerequisite often, uh, ability to work with the cloud. So we work more in industries where there are more, there's more cloud penetration like retail, travel, technology as well. We less work with, say, legal and government because they are still in early stages of cloud adoption. But I would say that the challenge is about the same because once you have a new thing to work with, new new thing to integrate, you have to change integration technology completely. Like you may see that after everything went to the cloud, MuleSoft carved out a good part of the market. Uh, from guys like SAP and IBM with their on-prem offerings. You and Brian probably speak to many of the same personas at the same kind of company. Really? Yeah. Brian, who, Brian who did, did it sound uh, pretty familiar, the kind of people that Constantin is uh, speaking with? I mean, certainly there's some correlation on the ATOS level, for sure, which is our parent company from Havenwave. So... Um, not to move it in a different direction, but have you spoken with Constant what 
what's next? What what is up for you next? Well, you know, what's next is um, we're a, we're a young company, right? We I think we will we launched commercially just three years ago, and it just about one and a half years ago when we sort of got our traction and started to work with large enterprise companies. And as we go, we saw this. We didn't know what's the next bottleneck, right? We discover it as we go. So every time we focus on the next bottleneck we see. So originally it was this technical bottleneck with, you know, this APIs. Then once we saw that and we started to sell, everyone were telling us, okay, guys, so we can use any combination of 20 APIs. That's great. Who tells us what? Who tells us what combination? Because we went to our procurement department and they said, uh, we have no idea. So then we focused on the solving this procurement part. After that, we actually focused on solving deployment part because we figured out that conventional integration platforms like MuleSoft, SnapLogic, and others, uh, they don't really handle many-to-many scenario. We had to develop our own integration platform for that. And now we solved the next problem was more like workflow and UX problem, how to make people use AI conveniently in their uh, workflows. We also solved that for us through many integrations. And I think we came to the next sort of bottleneck, which we need to solve. And this bottleneck is that when you add artificial intelligence inside a large company, it affects supply chains. Because before you had this AI, you couldn't really afford uh, having headcount for that. And you outsource lots of processes, so lots of business process outsourcing companies did those things for you, like translation, customer service, other things, data cleaning. And now when you edit AI, you have to figure out, you basically, you see that the existing supply chains, business models, pricing approach to the services don't work. For example, people charge per volume of work uh, done by humans and now they have to charge per volume of work which they do to fix mistakes which AI have done. And it turns out that changing these business relationships is the hardest part because it's exactly changing large established markets. And that's that's what we're up to right now. It seems like we're all getting to that point where it's really more important about the people. So it's a good tee up for some of Brian's favorite questions. Human in the loop, cautionary tale. Brian? Yeah, I always I usually like to watch, uh, ask this question about what scares you about AI and what um, what's your what's your thoughts about where it can go wrong or anything like that. You know, there's one uh, <laughs> one thing which scares lots of people, but we're actually quite optimistic about that. It's that it will replace us humans and uh, it will leave all those people, you know, out of their jobs because you lose their jobs for them. So I think that's not true. And I think it's all similar to, I think it's called Javan's Paradox. It's the situation which happened with coal mining when they discovered that uh, it's, there's a way to mine coal much cheaper and use it much more efficiently. And everyone was afraid that this elite coal mining industry will collapse and people will lose their jobs and will go, you know, to some low, you know, low leverage professions. They thought like, you know, teachers and doctors. What would happen is when they reduced price, you know, 
cost of coal, they found lots of new ways to use coal, like for steam engines, for railways, right? And the whole industry actually grew exponentially so that um, governments had to impose restrictions on coal, on coal usage to protect environment. And much like that, you know, Excel does not steal job for analysts, because probably in Excel you do in 20 minutes what 20 people do in one month uh, in the mid 20th century, but actually Excel created more jobs. So this thing, it may be like it could be frightening, but I think it's actually, um, it will create more jobs. Does it make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And Brian's other thing, I'm going to channel him as human in the loop, sounds like a lot of the um, new challenges and new business processes for some of the folks you interact with is addressing some of the mistakes or errors in the AI rather than you know the prior functions that they focused on. Yeah, and um, that's actually another reason why we, why we selected um, machine translation because in this field there is, I think, one of the longest history of humans working in the loop with uh, AI. Even that, back then, it was not AI, it was just some simple stuff with machines. But it started like in around mid-20th century, so quite um, quite long ago. And it's transforming. So what we see uh, with uh, more capable AI, it starts it changes from people using machines as tools to people actually working side by side with machines. When, uh, if you look how translator works, today they actually, AI sort of does legwork for them, so they don't have to look in all those glossaries, and they can focus on things which really matter, on the style and um, voice, and all those important aspects. It's not translation, particularly right now, maybe more language creation. Do you, do you yeah. have a, uh, an opinion on OpenAI currently? Have you poked around on that at all? Or Yes, I mean, we, we're working with them a lot and we actually we write one, uh, provide materials for one of the sections of their AI index report every year on machine translation. Uh, so I think they, they, they play an important role, uh, which is, um, you know, uh, thinking about ethical part of things, and it's it, it's really important because if you if you think this human in the loop, uh, it will in five ten years will more like I think will have uh, more like hybrid teams. It's not like a team of people using some you know machines. It will be just a set of cognitive models. Just some cognitive models are in human mind, and other cognitive models are artificial. So you're like artificial colleagues. And if you think, you know, there is lots of attention towards a good, you know, inclusive work environment for humans. But if you, you have all, all the same requirements to AI in this situation. And we just, I just spoke a couple of weeks ago at a conference, uh, well, forum in San Francisco, it's Global Sake. Um, and I presented our research about, uh, biases of AI, of translation, like it has a really strong gender bias, for example, which uh, if you think that it's like your colleague having such bias, it would be actually very, very um, uh, frightened. 
and unhappy. And we actually do quite a bit of research ourselves and we develop tools to mitigate and dodge those biases. Wonderful. Brian, any last questions? No, I think this has been a great episode and I really appreciate you coming on and, and chatting with us. Mostly you and Don, but definitely enjoyed it. So thank you for, for coming. Is there any closing uh, ways to find you or, or messages you want Actually, to leave the audience? Actually, I want to ask a question. I want to ask you a question. <laughs> I'm just curious. So for example, when you do podcast, do, uh, there are tools which uh, help doing that, like things like Descript and Specs when you uh, can spend much less time on editing. Do you use them? We use, I mean, I don't, we're amateurs, um, so we use whatever we know. And uh, I use Adobe Tools for the editing post-production. But, you know, as you know, we're using Zencaster for the recording. Mm -hmm. And am I answering Yeah, because question? I think that's one of the examples of what I was talking about is that, like, for example, today with all the CA stuff, you have tools where you can make a recording and then it will be automatically transcribed and you can edit even text. And if you edit new words, it will be synthesized in your language, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the gap between what you, what you can do and what you use today is super huge. <laughs> that was my point. <laughs> A good person for you to speak with on tools for podcasts is my friend Alina Serbriani. And she's the founder of a company called Echo Echo. Um, mm -hmm. She actually was resident in Oakland. I don't know where she is right now, just with all the COVID-19 stuff. Yeah. But her, her tool is really prefaced for um, larger production teams and includes some of the features you're, you're talking about. I see. I see. Yeah. Good. Thanks. This has been a great episode. Thank you so much for coming. And just personally for me, welcome from one immigrant to another on your new immigration to the United States. I, I think it's uh, wonderful that you've decided to join us and looking forward to all your contribute towards computing and startups here. And if folks are interested in the topics that we had spoken with Constantin, please find him at intento, I-T-E-N dot T-O. Thank you so much. Yep. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank and you. yeah, have a great weekend. And use it all.